We just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we ask that you help and guide us as we go through this chapter in Ezekiel. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 28, we continue our prophet speaking against Tyre. And it starts out with him talking against Tyre and then very quickly switches from him talking about Tyre to Lucifer. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyre, Thus saith the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up, and you have said, I am God, I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the sea, yet you are a man and not God. Though you set your heart as the heart of God, behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from you. With your wisdom and with your understanding, you have gotten riches and you have gotten gotten gold and silver into your treasures. By your great wisdom and your traffic have you increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers upon you and the terrible, terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against your beauty and your wisdom and shall defile your brightness. They shall bring you down to the pit, and you shall die in the depths, die in the depths of them that are slain in the midst of the sea. You will, will you say before him that slays you, I am God, but you shall be a man, but no, but no God in the hand of him that slays you. You shall die the deaths of this uncircumcised by the hand of the strangers, for I have spoken it, says the Lord. All right, so we see here, this part is still talking to the king of Tyre or the prince of Tyre, the ruler of Tyre. There are those who believe that this is the beginning part of talking about Satan, but it's kind of in question, so we're not going to take a hard stance either way on that one because we see the very interesting statements here that I'm not sure ever really got applied to Tyre or not. But we're going to look at this. He said, you know, son of man, say unto the prince or the ruler of Tyre, Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, because your, your heart is lifted up and you have said, I am God, I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the sea, yet you are a man and not God, though you set your heart as the heart of God. And this is one of the things that happened, especially back in this time period, was that the rulers oftentimes said they were God. Pharaoh believed himself to be God. Uh, Caesar in the Roman Empire believed himself to be God. Uh, most of these people at least told people they were God. Now, whether they believed it or not, I don't know. Uh, but they believed and had been trained that they were gods, whether it was from their fathers teaching them that, you know, hey, I'm God, you're the, you know, you're the son of God, or I was the son of a God, you know. Uh, so I can picture this being the king sitting on the throne saying, look how powerful I am. I'm, I'm God. I'm, I'm the ruler here. Now, whether that was partially just to get your people to, to follow you with greater conviction or if they really believed it I don't know I don't know the answer to that one but here the man you know he's being criticized he says you've lifted yourself up and you're saying you're God because you're in such a place and you've said in your heart that you're God but God says you're not God now and we kind of think about this how many of our politicians even in our day seem to think they're God they're above the rules. They're above everything. They, they, they feel like they are the power. And this seems to be what happens when people get authority. 
and get into power, they tend to get to this place where they think, well, I'm above all the rules. I can do what I want. And whether they say it or not, basically they're saying, I am God. I am I'm the ruler, at least of this, this domain. may not be the almighty God, but I am God of this. And if you've ever worked for one that has that attitude, you know exactly what I'm saying about it. You know, they are, you know, you're going to do it my way attitude. And here he is saying, you, 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 you think you're God, but you are not. And then this is one of the areas where, verse 3 is one of the places where they kind of wonder if this is uh, something other than, than just the man. It says, Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret which they can hide from you. With your wisdom and with your understanding, you have gotten riches. You have gotten gold and silver in your treasury. And this kind of could be either way because we talked, you know, we've had two chapters where they're talking about Tyre with its massive um, business savvy. Okay. Uh, doesn't seem like anybody outsmarts, outsmarts the king of Tyre. He seems to be the one that sees through, sees through any deceptions. And if you're going to be good at business, you pretty much better see through the deceptions because otherwise people are always out there trying to deceive you. And so we kind of see this, you know, are you wiser than Daniel? Why pick Daniel? Kind of been especially amazing with Ezekiel because Daniel's a contemporary of Ezekiel. All right? So it's kind of interesting that Daniel is picked so often by Ezekiel. Uh, huh? They were contemporaries. Uh, Ezekiel's a prophet to the people. Daniel is in the, in the uh, uh, palace, and he's, being, he's rising in power. Uh, and at this point, he's well-established in power uh, because he's already gone through interpreting the dream and being made number, number two man in all of all of uh, Babylon. You gotta, so he knows who Daniel is, and Daniel's the, the revealer of secrets. Similar to Joseph? In many ways, there is a lot of similarities between Joseph and Daniel. Uh, Daniel goes in as a, as a slave. He comes from a royal house, goes in as a, as a slave, gets picked to be, trained to be a leader, and then becomes second in charge of all of Babylon. When he interprets the dream, when, and if you remember the one that Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar has his dream, he can't remember it. He's getting ready to kill all the wise men because none of them can tell him what his dream is. And they, you know, they kept telling him, well, no, no king has ever asked his wise men to tell him what they dreamed in their own bed. You know, it's just, it can't be done. And, and as this, all the wise men are being rounded up, Daniel asks for 20, you know, Give me, give me the night to talk to my God and I'll have the answer. And he goes to him first thing in the morning and tells him, you know, God's revealed this to us. And then uh, I've always loved the guy. Daniel reveals, I have, I have, God has given me the answer. And, and the guy goes to the king and he goes, you know, the servant of the king goes, I have found a man. <laughs> like, I went, you know, king, I was out all night looking for somebody that can tell you your dream. I found him. <laughs> and it was Daniel who did all of the all of the, I, you know, give us the time to do this, you know. Uh, but yeah, and it's the same thing with, with uh, Daniel rises from basically servant to second in command. Same thing, Joseph rises from second to second command. So yeah, there's lots of similarities. So Ezekiel knows Daniel, and he knows him as the person who is, can see through all these things. He's the one that gave the dream. He's the one that interpreted the dream. He's the one that's rising in power, who's, you know, who's a, who's a Jew, fellow Jew and, and says, you know, hey, we know that he's a Jew. 
Daniel never hid the fact that he was a Jew. Joseph kind of hid the fact that he was a Jew uh, from everybody. But in Babylon, everybody knew Daniel was a Jew that had raised, had to come up from obscurity, from being a, being a servant and to being number two. And Ezekiel's pointing at him and saying, hey, you know, you're, 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 you're smarter than Daniel. You're wiser than Daniel. Which is why sometimes I kind of think maybe this whole chapter, I think, is halfway between, especially the first uh, 11, 10 verses are kind of, part of it is Tyre, Tyre's king, and part of it is Satan being meshed together. And in verse 11, we're going to take a total change, and we'll see the, the total change on that. Uh, but he says, you've gained wisdom. You've gained all this money because you are so wise. You, you are so smart. You know, he's kind of praising him in one sense. You know, you are really smart. You, you know the world's ways very well. And you're going to be lifting yourself up. You've gotten rich. Uh, by, verse 5, by your great wisdom and your traffic or business. We've talked about that last week. You know, traffic is another word for business and trade. You have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Verse 6, therefore you say, says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of God, Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers upon you, terrible, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom, and they shall defile your brightness. In other words, you think you're so great, I'm going to bring all these different people from all around, around this world, and they're going, to do, they're going to put you in your place. Starts out with Babylon, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Babylon comes in, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, basically conquers them. They, they capitulate. He doesn't destroy them, but he puts heavy, heavy tariffs on them and heavy taxes on them, and they pay their taxes for a long time. Nebuchadnezzar comes along later on, and they totally defied Nebuchadnezzar. They've moved out to the island off the shore. They think they're undefeatable, and they just thumb their nose at, at uh, Alexander the Great, and he decides to basically wipe them off the face of the earth. You know, one thing about these small nations that, that thumb their nose at a stronger nation, they're really taking their chances because that, that bigger nation might just say, I've had enough of you. And that's happened many times in history where a nation has come in and saying, well, normally I would have just conquered you and taken the taxes and made you a tributary, but uh, with your attitude, no. You know, Goodbye, see you later. <laughs> but God says, I'm going to send people in and you are going to be defiled. All that you think is so great is going to be taken away. All the beauty, all of what you think you're trusting in. Uh, verse 8, they shall bring you down to the pit and you shall die in the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the sea. In other words, you're going to be not even nice. They're going to be sent to the pit, hell. Uh, the worst thing, you're going to be sent to the depths of the sea, which is from the Jewish perspective, equivalent to going to being sent to hell because that's how little they respected the water. They feared water. They, did, they thought the water was the worst thing you could do. There was a huge tempest, and to die in the sea would have been awful because you're supposed to be buried, and you, got, you, know, you, you, you can't be found. So it says you're going to go, you're going to die in the depths of the, to hell, and by the way, it's just like going, you know, dying in the water. Awful, awful, terrible thing in their mindset. It goes back to the, one of their things. They have, the body has to be buried within 24 hours. The Jewish people do bury the body within 24 hours. I think even today, they bury the body within 24 hours. When Jesus resurrected Lazarus and he came in, he'd been dead for four days. The Jews, especially in that day, believed that the spirit hovered 
by the body for three days so that it could be resurrected. And on the third day, it, it left the body for, forever and would go to paradise or be taken to paradise. So when Jesus came four days after Lazarus had died, you know, Mary and Martha are figuring, okay, you can resurrect the body within three days, but after that, he's gone and, and you can't do anything. And so when he goes, I'm going to go see Lazarus, they're going, but he's going to stink by now. You know, there's, they're not thinking resurrection. They're going, he, he stinks. You know, the, the body's decomposing out there in the heat. You know, why are you going to go on and just see him? And he says, Lazarus, come forth and prove that he has power, great power over the dead, which is also the reason Jesus had to be in the ground for three days so that the Jews would recognize he is dead and by that third, going out, crossing in the third day, in their mind, he, dead is dead, he's not coming back. All right? They did not believe you could be resurrected after, after three days because of the way that their theology taught. So he, he, he purposely waited. Purposely waited four days. Yeah. Wanted to be a miracle. No doubt this is a huge miracle. It's not just something that anybody could have done you know, they, they didn't sneak in and use a, use a shock, shock treatment on him. Uh, what the Jews did with the people, and most of the Middle Eastern places, they put you in a, in, a, in a tomb, and they left the body there for about a year until it basically disintegrated and dehydrated and everything in the heat of the... Then they would come in, and they would gather up the, the, the grave cloth and the bones, and they'd put them in a small box and then they would seal the box and put it away in a cubby holes in, in, a, in a deeper, smaller cave. But you basically laid it a state, you know, and the equivalent of us taking and doing a uh, cremation that we do in, in uh, minutes was done over a long period of time. And then they would sweep up all the, the bits of the body and, and the bones and everything, put them in a, in a box and put it away. Then they clean up the, the, the tomb real good and they would reuse it for the next family member that died and after a year they would go get the body out of there and clean that spot up and it would be ready for the next person to die and they'd further in, further in the same, same cave or another you know, set of tombs they would put the, the bodies. If you remember, uh, I guess it was about three years ago they made a big deal because they found this little box that had the name Jesus on it and they're going, see we finally found the body of Jesus. Well, Jesus. Mexican from down south, right? uh, no, no. It's, Jesus was a very common name in that because it was just okay, and it was not an uncommon name for the Jews to use the word, you know, Yeshua. You know, and even for America, you know, we technically have Jesus' name used all over the place. It's just Joshua. There's tons of Joshuas, which is really what Jesus' name in Hebrew was. Jesus is the Greek form form of Yesh of Joshua. Well, what English phrase is Joshua or Yeshua. So, I mean, it's not that, it was not that uncommon a name. And they're going, well, see, we found his, here's, here's his name. Uh, okay, so you found somebody named Joseph. I'm really, uh, Joshua, we're really, we're really happy for you. So that, is, that was the burial practice of that day. You know, you put them away. They could be resurrected up to three days. After that, you let them stay in the tomb for a year to two years. Then the body would disintegrate, turn to powder. You'd, you'd sweep up all the powder into a box. You'd pick up all the bones and the grave cloths and 
box it all up, seal the box, and, and, put, and put their name on it and put it away. So now you have a history of Jewish, Jewish funeral practices. So he says, you'll defile your brightness. They shall bring you to the pit. You shall be buried. Verse 9, will you yet say before them that slay you, I am God? But you are... You shall be a man and know God in the hand of him that slays you, and you shall die the depths of the uncircumcised by the hand of the strangers, for I have spoken it, says the Lord God. This is always when I've studied history, when you think about these guys, pharaohs, uh, Caesar saying, I'm God, and then yet they were killed <laughs> or died of old age, still claiming to be God. And, you know, you, can you see the comedy in here? It says, they're getting ready to kill you. Are you going to tell them that you're God as you're being, as, a, as the sword's going through your heart, you're going to tell them that you're God. And so there's a kind of a comedy in this statement on it. Uh, you know, you're going to stand there and tell them I'm God as you're dying. And we see this over and over through the, through the time of history, these people claiming to be God as they're, as they're being died. And you're kind of thinking, what kind of gods did they really believe in? But it also shows you the kind of God they believed in. When, when their gods, the idols that they worship, are just strong people, you know, the sin of the, some sin being perverted, and that's what idols always were. An idol represented some sin amongst the people. The fertility gods were, were promoting sexual activity. We wanted to do sexual activities. We know that God says it's wrong, so we're going to go worship an idol that says it's okay because that idol is God. Uh, you know, the, we had idols for just about any sin that was out there. There was an idol that, that was centered around that activity. And so we had these guys saying, I'm God, as they're dying. You know, I'm still God. You know, what did we see in the, in the, pharaoh, in the, in the pharaohs of Egypt? These great, big, monumental... <coughs> pyramids that were supposed to start them on their celestial journey where they would continue to be God until someday they returned in all their power and glory. But, you know, they surrounded them with all their a lot of their wealth and food and everything so that they could start their celestial journey uh, as, as God into the celestial reigns to rule with the other gods. Well, that when you're worshiping the wrong type of God, you know, it's just a, it's just a powerful, you know, a, a greater powerful man. You look at the Greek legends of the gods. You know, these gods fought with each other and were jealous of each other. And, and man, you know, got in the way sometimes of the battles between the gods. You know, or were the, or the, were the tools, of, the pawns of their you know, power. You know, what were the gods of Egypt? Just strong people with very strong emotions, very strong features that, you know, uh, you had the god of war, the god of love, the god of this, the god of messenger god, the god of this, you know, thing, you know, and it's, they were all gods with special, special abilities and features, but they were just very strong men and or women in some cases that had powers that were just, you know, I wish I had a, I wish I was a god, if I had a god, I'd be, this is what I'd be if I was god. I could throw thunder, thunderbolts, I could disappear, I could go where I want to go. But you know, that's not uncommon for any of the gods out there in any religion. Whether it's the Egyptian, uh, the Egyptian gods, which we don't know a whole lot about, but we're the same way. The, Nor the Norse gods, the gods of the Indians, uh, the you know, Greek, and, Greek and Roman gods, we as, as Western people know fairly well 
to a degree or to a degree lesser or greater degree. Uh, the one of the hundreds of thousands of gods in India, they they just have a small pantheon. They have about a hundred thousand gods. Take your pick. Take your pick on which one you want to worship. Yeah, the Romans they only had they only had about thirty or forty. The the Indians had the Indians and the Hindus have hundred thousand. You know, you can have a god for anything you want. Uh, the Egyptians had hundred or so gods. The Babylonians had thirty or forty gods. You know, it's take your pick. What, what do you want to What do you want to worship? What you know? What do you want to do? We've got a god. We've got a god for you. And that doesn't even count all their kings and princes and everybody who thought they were gods. So here he's saying, you know, you go ahead, you go ahead, tell them how much you're a god as you're being killed. So, all right, we're going to look at verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation against the king of Tyre, Tyre and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, you seal up the sum full of wisdom and perfect beauty. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your, your covering, the sardis, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of your t tambourines and the pipes of, and your pipes were prepared for you in the day that you were created. You are the anointed cherub that covers, and I have set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You walked up and down among the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in all your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the multitude of your merchandise, you have filled the midst of you with violence, and you have sinned. Therefore, I will cast you as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, and you have corrupted your by wisdom your and you have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. I will cast you to the ground. I will lay you before kings that they may behold you. You have defiled the sanctuaries of the, with the multitude of your iniquities by the iniquity of your traffic. Therefore, I will bring forth a fire from the midst of you, and it shall devour you, and it shall bring you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all that behold you. All they that know you among the people shall be astonished at you, and you shall be a terror, and never shall you be any more. So you see the very subtle change in this. This is definitely not talking about the king of Tyre. All right? I was going to say, too, was a, you know, this makes it sound like he was one of God's people. It is. It is, this, is this is talking about Lucifer and his fallen state. Okay? Lucifer... In this one, and I'm going to go ahead and read you the other place where we get most of our information about uh, Lucifer, so you have both pieces of the information at the same time. Isaiah chapter 14, starting at verse 12. And yeah. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? You are, how are you cut down to the ground that did weaken nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit at the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. I will ascend upon the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see you shall narrowly look on you and consider you saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake kingdoms? 
What made the world is a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof that opened not the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nation, even all them, lie in, the, in glory, every one in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch. And as the remnant of those that are slain, thrust through with the sword, and that go down to the stones of the pit as the carcass trodden under the foot. Okay, so between Isaiah and, and this chapter in Ezekiel, we understand, first off, just as it says here, that Satan was chief of the angels, okay? And in Isaiah, we're told he wasn't satisfied with his position. He, and the seven I wills of Satan, I will ascend to the throne. I will be like the Most High. You know, read through those seven things that he says. It never says that he was going to be greater than God because always in his mind he knew that he was a created being, but he wanted to be equal to God. What was his tr question to Eve? God is not telling you the truth, Eve, because he knows that the day you eat of that tree, you will be like God's, knowing good and evil. Okay? Even with Eve and Adam, he didn't say you're going to be greater than God. He goes, but you can be like God, which was already their destiny if they had just been obedient. They were the rulers of this world. And so we see this. And we look at this and he says, you have sealed up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This is talking about Satan. Satan's creation was that he was the most beautiful of all the created beings from what it sounds like. He was made special. There was something special about Lucifer in his creation. And he was placed in to be the chief angel. And of the three angels that we know, we know Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel. And it appears that Michael is now the angel in charge from everything we read about the scriptures because he is who Gabriel calls to, to battle with Lucifer whenever things get tight in the heavens. It's Michael who's sent. So Michael seems to be the, seems to be, and we, we use this because we're not told a lot about angels in the Bible because God wants us focusing on him, not on the angels. A few years ago, we had a whole bunch of shows that were all about angels. Highway to Heaven, Touched by an Angel, all these shows that were glorifying angels. And even then, they weren't dealing with angels in their, in their power. They were just humans with power, in, in essence. And as we bring this whole thing with angels, bring out that we've brought out many times, our destiny as human beings is not to become angels. Okay? When we get to heaven, we do not become angels because we are destined to rule angels. We will always be humans. We are not of the kind of angel, the same kind of, as angels are. We're a different creation than angels. And I always bring this up because there are a lot of Christians saying, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be an angel, or my guardian angel is my grandmother, you know, or my mom or whoever watching over me. Nope. You know, don't ever believe that because we are not destined to be angels. We're destined to rule angels. We are the bride of Christ. And... This is why when, when we look back even at Genesis 8 and it says the sons of God saw that the sons of uh, the daughters of man looked good and they 
they had sex. A lot of people will see sons of God. That's talking about the angels. No, the angels are a different kind. They cannot have sex with humans and produce children because they're different kinds. And I, Genesis 1 tells us that everything produces after its kind, period. So there wasn't this angelic, half-human, half-angelic beings running around the earth, okay? The sons of men, the ones who were following God, daughters of, uh, sons of God, ones following God, sons of man, the ones following after, uh, daughters of, of man going after the evil. And there were some the other way around. <laughs> uh, sons of man and daughters of God. <laughs> so, but we want to keep this in mind because there's so much confusion out there between angels and man. They're totally different creations. Now this takes us into a question of when were angels created? There are a lot of people who say because they were created, they had to be created within the first seven days of creation. I don't believe so. They're not earthly. They are spiritual. They are created beings. Maybe they're from another dimension or universe. I don't know, but they were, I, I believe they were created before our world was created. And during that period of time, they fell. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. You know, Satan fell and took a third of the angels with him. Can't get dogmatic. You know, if somebody really wants to say, well, they're created, they have to be within the first six, you know, six days. I'm not going to sit there and argue with them. That's a, that's a lot of angels falling, a lot of chaos falling within the first six days. Uh, and I just don't see that being the case. That's my personal belief. Now, we've used Ken Ham's and other different books, and then Ken Ham, on his teaching, believes that angels were created within, the, within that six-day window and fail, fell and then tempted, you know, and I, I just disagree with that. Uh, again, there's no verse anywhere in Scripture that tells you when angels are created. The only thing people will take, like Colossians, when we read that all things were created by Christ and in him was all things created, you know, whether seen or invisible, and, they, and they'll point to a verse like that and see, there it is. They were created. <laughs> they were created at the beginning just like everything else. And I go, God's outside of time. He could, could have created. He's still the creator. He could have created whenever he wanted to. Is it something I think we should get dogmatic about? No, it really doesn't matter. If they were created in the first six, six days and they fell within that short period of time before man sinned, you know, and they turned around and were so angry at God that they tempted man, it is possible. I just don't, there's nothing in the Bible that says it has to be that way, all right, because they're outside. They are not, they are not of this physical world. They are spiritual beings that dwell within the heaven that God has created for himself to dwell in. It's not a major issue one way or the other. Well, they had to fall before that because Satan is the one that, that tempted Eve to sin. What I'm saying is if they were created on that first, somewhere within that first seven days, you had to have the angels all of a sudden find iniquity, fall, get cast out of heaven, then get so angry that he tempts God's new creation to sin before, you know, it, it gets to be very interesting and it's... That's the only time in the Bible that they talk about creating the Bible is all about this, this world and this universe. Yeah, it seems to me. Yeah, but this is about this world and, this, and, 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 our, and our dominion. It makes sense, though, you, you're creating at the same time that you're creating. Oh. 
God is the master of all dimensions, all universes, all places. We're not to focus on it at all. It's not important on, it's the same thing as, is it possible that somewhere in, in our universe that there's other life that God has created? It is the theoretically possible and it is possible that God created it. Will we ever know and will it inter interact with us? Probably not. Yeah, until we get to heaven. C.S. Lewis, in the book of Narnia, basically proposed the idea of multiple universes. You've got Earth, you've got Narnia, and there was an in-between the place that had access to, they, they said, hundreds of pools that led to different, different worlds. Now, I don't know whether he meant to talk about multiple universes, which are now being talked about by physics, or not. But he seemed to believe that there was a possibility that there were other creations out there that would all meet in heaven. Because the last book of Narnia, all the different places come to Narnia, come to, come to the home of the, of the father of Aslan, or as we understand him, God. Okay? In the Out of, out of the Silent Planet, the Paralandra series, we've got Earth with a fallen people. And he proposed the idea that they went to Mars, and Mars has a group of people that are, you know, not people, but living beings that were following God and never fell. Okay. Then he, the third book takes you, uh, the second book takes you to Venus, where he all of a sudden starts the creation process all over with another human-type people that are in the process of falling or not falling. So. C.S. Lewis and other theologians have proposed the idea that God's got other planets out there, other places, other universes that are populated. Do I have a problem with that? No. You know, only thing I know is this book talks about this one. <laughs> Did God have a creation where the angels had the same type of situation that we have now where they're going to make a decision and then they served God for the rest of their eternity? It's possible. I see parallels that could possibly be. So I'm not really concerned with when they were created. <laughs> they didn't have anything to do with this world as we know it. A, some other universe, some other, other place. So I'm not going to get too deep into all of that because it's, it's all speculation. And I don't like to do a lot of speculation. In my own mind, I like to think about these things. In reality, they have nothing to do with our salvation. No. Other than tempting us away from God. So they, there, there is a whole school of thought because they are going to try to keep us from God. They're going to... Satan is an enemy of God, but just as I said Sunday, he's not an equal to God. He is a created being on a leash, and God is basically using him to tempt his people, test his people in this world. When he was created, I personally believe it was sometime before our world is created, but again, it's not, it's neither here nor there on, on when he was created. Those who believe that they were, well, they'll point to you a whole bunch of verses about how God created and it was over. All right, and then God created all things, but I have no problem with God creating in another universe and still being God. So, uh, but again, it's not, it's not an important point. Some point they were created either long before our, us or right at, and they fell. And they fell pretty quick. But you know, we look at our own history and our, and our Adam and Eve fell pretty quick, as far as I'm concerned. Because if they had spent decades in the Garden of Eden, then you got an issue of 
did they have any children for decades and why were they disobedient to having children? Because God told them in chapter 1, be fruitful and multiply. Which means that I really think that the fall of Adam and Eve happened less than a year or two from the time they were created because otherwise you end up with a whole issue of you got some children out there that didn't you know that didn't eat of the fruit and they're perfect now now what do you do or did all of them die you know die because of their parents you know it, it gets you into a whole bunch of theological quagmire there's no timeline on how long they were in the garden of eden i believe that there were no children at all before and if she wasn't pregnant before the fall and that's why i really believe the fall happened within months to no more than a year you know from the time that they were created which kind of makes you wonder how you know showing how evil it was in it and it kind of puts you a time frame that the angels could have been created in that same point but then they've still got to fall within that period of time and you know and they're seeing god in the spiritual realm so that's kind of hard to picture so god told them to in, in chapter one they're told be fruitful and multiply so that was their job their job was to fill the earth with human beings anyway back to back to where we are he goes you walked in the garden you have been in the garden of eden the precious stones were of your covering and he lists a whole bunch of stones which are pretty much the same stones that are listed everywhere that we see the list of stones the breastplate of israel the 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 stones listed in, in Revelation, except that there's only nine of them, and, there's, and so it's not a complete, complete uh, listing of all the stones. Uh, so he doesn't have complete rule as, as the other ones would be. And he says, the workmanship of your tambourines and your pipes was prepared in you in the day that, was, that you were created. Now, if you're reading some of the newer versions, they put in your, your jewels and your engravings and your settings or something of that nature in, the, in there. Uh, the second word, your pipes, can mean rows and settings. The first word for tambourines, it's used 19 times in the Bible and 19 times it's translated tambourine. I don't think that that first one can mean anything but tambourine, no matter how you want to. Musical tambourine. Musical tambourine. Bells and, and sound and pipes. There are those that believe that Satan was built in and created to be basically a musical instrument for the praise of God. Had a tambourine, tambourine things, bells right built into him with some kind of trumpets or you know clarinet type things actually literally built into him well when you think about the way satan uses entertainment and music to to drag people away from god it kind of makes sense if he was created to be the worship leader of heaven the music maker of heaven and the way that he would then twist that when he falls would be an interesting thought. The second word that is you translate pipe, like I said, can and has in a few places been translated as settings and rows. Uh, and the newer versions just take both words and translate them into, you know, it's, it's how they set these stones. Uh, and but like I say, the first word there, every time it's used in the Bible is always talking about tambourines or, or timbals, bells. 
So I don't, I don't buy that translation of it. And when I find one mistake in it, it makes me wonder about the second, <laughs> second uh, translation, especially in the same, same spot. Uh, but again, if he was created, and it does appear that he was created to be musical in his, in his being, and then we look at how he uses music in our day and age to draw people away from God, it makes perfect sense that that's what he would use. And so he says, you were created this way. You were the anointed cherub that covered. Anointing, when you're anointed, you're anointed with oil, power, authority to do something. He says, you were the anointed cherub that covered. The person in charge covers the people underneath them. He was the covering angel, the one in charge of all angels, just as the husband is the covering for his wife. The pastor is the covering for their church. The government is supposed to be the, the covering for their people, the protector, the, the one that helps keep them in line. And it says, you were the one. You were the one that was put over everybody. And we see that even in, in Isaiah where he says, you were, the, you were the one in charge. And he goes, you were, and I set you so. You were on the holy mountain of God. And this is used in several places, the holy mountain. Uh, Zion is considered the, the holy mountain of God on this world, but this is not the one it's talking about. Zion is just a shadow of the real mountain of God. The temple in Jerusalem was only a shadow of the real temple. Isaiah 6 says that he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the angels cried, holy, holy, holy. And then it goes on down and goes, and God said, who, you know, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me, but I am a man of unclean lips. And he goes, the angel went to the altar of God in heaven and pulled out a, a fire, an ember and, and put it on his lips. You know, Abraham, uh, Moses was told, make sure you build the temple to the exact specs that I've given you. God sits on the mercy seat of heaven where Jesus put his blood after he, was, after he died, he put, took his blood and put it upon the mercy seat in heaven so that when God looks, he sees the perfection of man. But the, the heavenly t throne room was a copy, was copied on earth by the tabernacle. And that's why it was so precious. God says, these are all the parts. They represent what is real. These are the shadow. And it represents what's real and what we'll see when we make it to heaven. When we get to the throne room of heaven and we see the reality of all of this. That's why he wanted, he wanted specifically specific things. Yes. Had to be because it was a complete copy. The angel, the cherubs over the mercy seat have their wings, and Isaiah says that the seraphim fly, the cherub are right there over, over the mercy seat. Then the seraphim fly around with their wings outstretched. And we see the mercy seat having the angel's wings over it. We see the, the altar. We see the, the showbread. We see the altar of incense, which represents the prayers coming up. Everything is a picture of the heavenly. And so it's an amazing thing that we see here. He says, Satan, you were there. You were right at the throne room of heaven. You were on the mountain. Isaiah says that he said, I will ascend to the top of the mountain. I'm going to go, to the, I'm going to go sit next to God because that's 
where I deserve to be. Do you think, is that why in Exodus they gave such a detailed description of everything? How to dress the priest, how to, how everything was to be set up, the, the recipes to use for the incense, the very detailed, this is the size of it, this is the shape of it, this is what it's used for. Well, maybe, I don't know about that per se. Most of the robes on it were made out of linen, and linen was to keep them from sweating and bring man's work in, involved with it, the sweat of their brow. So a lot of that was because of that. Uh, the high priest robes was to put Israel upon the breast of the, on the, on the, on the, on the high priest's breast because it had their names on it, and he wore them on, the, on his breast. Jesus wears his people on him because he's because of how much he's paid for them so there's there's tons of symbol symbology that goes straight into our worship and what god did for us which if you want to go back on that we've got a whole series on exodus and leviticus that goes through all of the symbology we spent months going through the tabernacle and the colors the colors of going into the tabernacle how it started out with with the the black covering and ended up with with white and red and down to, you know, all through the colors of salvation and, and the sacrifice of Jesus as you went in through the colors of the tent, uh, how the gold represents deity, the silver redemption, bra the, the brass and bronze, uh, the judgment, and you know, there's all kinds of things. There's so much symbology in that. We're not going to cover all of that tonight, but there's a huge amount of symbology in it. The very size of things has symbology in it and what each priest, piece did has a symbology in it. But Satan was there. He was right there seeing all of this. That is why he is without any excuse. Man, he could trick man. Man had not seen, had not seen all this. But when and you think about it, Satan falls having been there, and he takes a third of the angels with him that actually see God, that actually see everything firsthand. It's not like us having to believe by faith and having to deal with somebody, well, I can't see God, so I'm not going to believe in him. They saw God. He walked with God. He walked in the judgments of God. He walked in the power of God. He walked with all the powerful angels and everything in there. And, you know, we see here the stones of fire, which nobody really knows what the stones of fire are. There's speculation of it's the power, other powerful angels. The, it's the, the lightning of God as he walks around, <laughs> walks around heaven. I mean, there's all kinds of different speculation. I'm going to tell you, we don't know what it is. <laughs> Obviously, it meant something in this as they're talking directly towards Satan. But even in ancient stuff, I can find nothing in it that really tells us what the stones of fire definitively are. And so we're not going to do a lot of talk about them. <laughs> Uh, he goes, you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in your heart. In other words, just like all things that God created, you were perfect. Yeah. And can you imagine the most evil being in all of our dealings is Satan. And yet he was created perfect. And now he's the father of lies, the, a murderer from the beginning. Uh, you know, how quick from the beginning? I don't know, but it does say from the beginning in the scriptures. It says you're the father of lies, you're the murderer from the beginning. And so iniquity found in him. He was not 
pleased with his position in heaven. Yeah. Number, number one angel of all of heaven, below only Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as far as we can tell, he's the number four of all, all things in heaven, not happy. The number one created being, and not happy. He wanted something more. Sad thing is, most of us as humans want something more than whatever we have. Whatever God gives us, we want more. We want something different. And nothing, you know, just like Satan, it's, we're just not happy so often with what we're created to be. And you know, if we could just learn to be content with what God has given us, it would make life a whole lot better. Just to be content. God, you want me to be the, the, the ground polisher? I'll polish the ground. It doesn't matter to me. Whatever you want me to do in God, I'll, I'll do. And yet, we see this whole issue that it, it's Satan's sin was to not be happy with his position, and man does the same thing. By the multitude of your merchandise or your, or your trading, you have filled, they have filled the midst of you with violence or cruelty, and you have sinned. Therefore, I will cast you out as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So he was cast out from, from heaven. In, Pro, in Psalm, we're shown the picture where he was cast out and he took a third of the angels with him. The same thing is said in, in Revelation. So this is why we understand that a third of the angels sided with Lucifer. Which is good news for those of us who are on God's side because it means there's two angels to every one angel that are, that's against us. So... And it says, you will be destroyed. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You, you were corrupted in your wisdom by reason of your brightness. And I will cast you to the ground. I will lay you before kings that they will behold you. And you have, you have defiled the sanctuaries of the multitude of your iniquity by the iniquities of your trafficker. And therefore, I will bring forth a fire from the midst of you and it will devour you and bring you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold you. Satan's fate is sealed. He's going to be destroyed. Hell was created for the angels. Or the lake of fire actually was created for the angels. Not created for human beings, but because human beings have sinned, we will share the angels' punishment for those who reject Christ. And then the last verse in here, all they that know you from among the people will be astonished at you. And they shall be in terror, and, the, and never shall there be any more. And then in Isaiah, we're told that the world are going to look on Satan and say, is this the one that, that, that scared us so much? Is this the one that controlled? Kind of makes you wonder what Satan looks like. When he stands at the white throne judgment to be judged by God, everybody's going to look at him and say, that's what we were afraid of? That's what had all the power? <coughs> It's not going to be, there's not, yeah, there's not this powerful being that's pictured in either of these sections. It's going to be like, that's what, that's what, you know, don't mind what's behind the curtain. <laughs> you know, you know, pay attention over here. <laughs> don't mind what's going on over there, over here. Pay attention to what's going on over here. And Satan is very good at that. Let me, let me. Pretend to be. I'm a father of lies. I'm going to make you think that I'm greater than I am. And when, they, when he's actually seen for who he is, people are going to go, that's what we were afraid of? That's what controlled the world for 6,000 years? It said he defiled your sanctuaries. Does he have 
he was in charge of the sanctuary of God. He was in charge of everything. So he defiled, he tried to defile heaven, which is why heaven itself will be destroyed and recreated at the, you know, in the new heaven and earth, because as, as the heavens and the earth, heavens plural, and the earth will be destroyed and re remade. Satan has is, Satan is brought his evil throughout all of God's creation and will all have to be destroyed and rebuilt to get rid of that evil because he defiled it. Even in God's, God's throne room. And this is one thing I've brought up. You know, Satan, even today, has access to God's throne room. Just as in medieval days when the king would have hold court, you would enter into the castle and the first room that you would enter into the castle was the throne room or the judgment room. Off to the sides would be your banqueting halls for the special guests. And then behind everything would be where the royal family lived. And the average everyday commoner never went back there. You had access to the throne room. Anybody had access to the throne room. The worst, the worst criminal could go to the throne room and plead their case. Probably weren't going to go very far, but they could go to the throne room. Then you had your parties on either side of the throne room and around the, around the throne room. And then beyond that, you had your private quarters. You had to be family or nobility to go into that area. Satan does not have access to all of that other area. He has access to the throne room of heaven. And when he gets finally punished, he won't have, a, he won't have access to anything outside of hell. And uh, so... We just want to keep those things in mind. You know, he, he has access to God. He has access to the throne room. He can make his accusations against humans in the throne room. And then God says, okay, you've made your, you've made your statement. Now this is far, you know, go back out the front door. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, you know. And he doesn't have any access anywhere else in, in all of heaven. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you show us what you would want us to see as we go about. And Lord, we're not lifting up Satan through all this. We're just going through the history and what, you, what you've given us about him. But we know above and all that you are powerful. You are the one that's in control. You are the creator. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.